0: Hey, what's up, everybody welcome to catholics with bibles the podcast dedicated to empowering catholics to read interpret and pray with sacred scripture with the eyes of faith and reason i am your host chase kraus let's dive in what is up everybody welcome to catholics with bibles i am super excited for today's episode In studio via phone slash Bluetooth is a buddy of mine, uh, Luke Heinchel. Luke, I've known him for years now, actually, which is kind of a wild thing to say. I mean, he's uh, calling in all the way from California. It's where where we actually met. We met in school out at uh, John Paul, the great Catholic university out in Escondido, California. So Luke, how's it going, man?
1: Hey, thanks for having me on. I'm doing great.
0: Yeah, man, I'm so, so stoked to have you. Before we do anything, Luke, why don't you tell us a bit about yourself, your background, uh, what gets you up in the morning when it comes to Catholic theology and scripture and stuff like that, and then maybe even how you got into uh, biblical theology and what sparked that interest.
1: Yeah, so I was uh, raised in a uh, very Catholic environment, but when I was a kid, I went to K-8 through Catholic parochial school. And, you know, I got A's in my religion classes, but, you know, the faith wasn't really something that was super important to me. Uh, Then I went to public high school and I realized I'm not, and everybody else is not Catholic. There's a lot of people who are not Catholic out there. And so it was kind of my first time encountering people who thought differently than I had been taught my whole life. And so I got very interested into apologetics, and studying sacred scripture and debating with non-Catholic Christians and uh, also with atheists and agnostics, et cetera. And in high school, I I sort of recatechized myself through private study and, you know, arguing and debating, but still the faith was really just an intellectual uh, enterprise for me. It wasn't something that was, you know, important to my life Mm. in any real way. Mm -hmm. But, um, then just before I I started college, I, I messed around in community college for a little bit and I had this, you know, amazing conversion experience. Uh, I met my wife and I decided that, you know, the only way that I can be a good husband and father is if I take this Catholicism thing seriously. Mm. And so I, you know, that was kind of, a moment in my life where the faith kind of traveled, you know, 18 inches south from my head to my heart. And ever since then, I've been studying even more passionately because I found out that the more you know about God and his word, the better you are able to love him. So I, um, you know, I'm, I'm on that journey right now. I'm still trying, I'm still improving all the time, and I'm still failing. And, but I just get really excited about, trying to hand that experience on to others. Cause I just think it's so important. There's nothing more important than our salvation than knowing and loving God so that we can know and love him forever in the next
0: life. Yeah, man. That's awesome. Yeah. It's funny. Uh, funny how, uh, meeting that certain someone uh, tends to make you get a little fire under your butt, went to, to become a better man, huh?
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, God knows how to, how to pull us, and oh, yeah. you know, for guys, sometimes he uses women.
0: <laughs> yep. Yep. It's uh you know, it's, it's, it's funny. Like, you know, all the time it's like, God, I mean, he has to have a sense of humor, you know, like he has to, like, there's no way he does not. And, uh, I remember even before, uh, my wife, Viva and I, uh, when we started dating, I was like super spiritually like cocky and like prideful. Um, and I was just like, I'm basically perfect. Um, in every way, like, is there a way for me to be holier than I am right now? And then it was like, it, it, through our like, dating engagement and now marriage where I'm like every day I'm like, dang, I suck in some way, shape or form. And I'm like, I'm really glad <laughs> God has made this woman very patient uh, because that's the only way that uh, she can live with me. Um, <laughs> but that's awesome. Yeah. yeah so super stoked to have you on the show um, here today. You're actually our first guest on the show. So you should feel special. I'm honored. Yeah. Feel special. I'm honored. Um, <laughs> and so, I mean, for everybody else out there who doesn't know, I think Luke, and, Luke I think you and I have the exact same degrees, right?
1: Yeah, MA, Biblical Theology, and as far as I know, our degrees are very, very unique. Um, Yes, yeah. Our program was designed by top flight scholars, uh, most notably Michael Barber, who's now working at the Augustine Institute and doing amazing things there. But uh, he designed the program that we studied in, in such a way that it covers the entirety of scripture and the entirety of the faith, and it's just, it was a beautiful program. Yeah,
0: it was amazing. There's definitely times where I miss uh, just kind of sitting in Dr. Barber's like presence and like not even talking to him, but like, just like listening to him, talk to other people. And you're just like, man, you were a genius on so many different levels. And I'm just like, wow. So basically everything in this podcast so far, you know, I'm, I'm looking at like old notes from his class and stuff like that. So if, if you're listening to this podcast and if you had moments like, wow, Chase, you're really smart. Um, just think Dr. Barber. Um, <laughs> um,
1: That's it. That's exactly it. Yeah. And- you know, whenever we make mistakes, we have to say, well, he didn't teach me that. That was
0: That's all right. Me. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Oh man. That's so funny. Well, uh, on the show, if you've been tuning in for a while, you know, that we always start with a, uh, some kind of Greek word. And a lot of times it does relate to what we're going to talk about. Sometimes it doesn't, uh, today it does. And I was chatting with Luke before we started recording and he, he recommended, uh, this word, the word in Greek is hagiatso. Uh, so hagiatso is means uh, to uh, sanctify, to make holy, right? So to uh, put something apart for the uh, the service of God, basically, and this ties in really beautifully to what uh, Luke's going to chat with us about today, which namely is the priesthood of Christ. Uh, I don't think we often think about Jesus Christ as a priest. Maybe we might acknowledge it intellectually, but I think this actually really helps build the Catholic intellect up when it can, the Catholic faith up and the Catholic uh, ability to enter into liturgy um, builds that up definitely too, because Jesus Christ was and is the high priest. He is the one who made the sacrifice. Um, He was the priest and the victim we've heard that we hear that in liturgy quite often. So uh, Luke, I'm going to, I'm going to pass the mic off to you and why don't you, you know, enlighten us with the brilliance of Jesus Christ as the priest.
1: Yeah. So in the Summa Theologiae, St. Thomas basically tells us that Jesus's priesthood is the reason for the entirety of our faith. So in question 22 of the third part, he says that the office of a priest is to be a go-between or a mediator between God and humanity. So the priest gives divine things to people— and he gives the people's prayers to God. And so St. Thomas says that it's the priest that makes satisfaction to God for our sins. So if we believe in Christianity and we want to receive grace, and if we want to uh, have God forgive our sins, then we need a priest. There's no other way. That's just, that's the way God set it up. And so Jesus's identity as a priest is it's, it really, really important for his identity overall and for what he did for us. Mm. So I wanted to go into the, the Last Supper story in the Gospel of John. And the Gospel of John's Last Supper story is weird because he doesn't talk about the Eucharist, not directly. He doesn't have a story where Jesus, you know, takes bread and breaks it and gives it to the apostles. That's in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, but it's totally missing from John. Yeah. So there's
0: this. um, And I think, oh, go ahead. I I think, yeah, just just so uh, our listeners might not know. Um, So there's a, a pretty drastic difference with what's called the synoptic gospels. So, namely, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and then John's gospel. So, obviously, there's four gospels, they all tell us about story of Jesus Christ, uh, after his incarnation and, uh, through his passion. But the gospel of John is very unique in a lot of different ways. It doesn't share a lot of the same stories as the synoptics share. Um, and yeah, uh, obviously what Luke just said, uh, the last supper is, is pretty drastically different and it doesn't mean that they contradict. It doesn't mean that one really happened and one didn't. Uh, it's, they're just, the authors are coming at it from different viewpoints. And, uh, and Luke, you might want to add something to this too, but from my understanding, you know, the gospel of John is pretty much safe to say it was, the, it was written last of the, of the four gospels and John writing it almost uh, as a mystic, right? I mean, I don't know what do you, I don't know what you would add to that, but it's almost like a, a prayerful approach to the life of Christ after like years of him meditating upon these realities. Yeah.
1: And I think in the church's art, the, the gospel of John is always represented with an eagle, Mm. Uh, Matthew is represented with a man. Luke is represented with an ox. Mark is represented with a lion. But John's always represented as an eagle. And I think it was St. Augustine who said that the reason for that is because John's theology soars so much higher than the others. Mm. And so, I think, so I think you're right that John was written last, but I also think that John knew the other Gospels, and he said, okay, there's some holes here that need to be filled. There's mm. some things that they didn't talk about that, you know, that people need to know about. and So I think John is not contradicting, like you said. He's not contradicting. He's filling in some of those holes. And so I think that the Last Supper in John is is one of those places where he's filling in the holes. Totally. So in John, the Last Supper starts in chapter 13 and it ends in chapter 17. And so in 13, there's a really famous story where Jesus, you know, takes off his robe and he ties it around his waist. And then he gets down and he washes the disciples' feet. He washes the apostles' feet. And a lot of people view this story as like the abstract idea of service. And there is something with service to this story, but I think there's something deeper too. Peter tells Jesus that Peter's not worthy that Jesus would wash his feet. Mm -hmm. And Jesus tells him, if I don't wash you, then you have no part in me. And so The implication is that if Jesus washes Peter's feet, then Peter gets to share in Jesus in some way. He shares in Jesus's identity. Mm. And so I think that what John is doing here is he's pointing to the Old Testament. He's pointing specifically to Exodus chapter 29 and Leviticus chapter eight. And what happens in those chapters is that uh, Moses anoints, he receives instructions for anointing high priest, and then he anoints the high priest. So in Leviticus chapter eight, the whole ceremony of ordination begins with washing. Mm. Uh, In verse six, it says, Moses brought Aaron, who was about to be anointed high priest, and his sons and washed them with water. And then he puts on their sash and their robe and all their priestly uh, garments. And so I think, By starting the Last Supper in John with the washing, Jesus is beginning an ordination ritual.
0: Mm, That's beautiful. It almost, you know, it's funny, because I think a lot of uh, well-intentioned Christians and Catholics, they think that Jesus somehow invented uh, this idea of, like, baptism and washing. And then all you have to do is point to, like, John the Baptist, right? I'm like, (laughs) so it's like, well, actually, no. John the Baptist was doing it before Jesus. And, like, he didn't make it up either. Like, Washing was like it was a huge part of the Jewish ceremonial uh, rituals for for priests, obviously in our in our context now, but also for I guess uh, the laymen before uh, they were to do anything in the temple either, or bring their sacrifices in, and to like cleanse them of their sins and stuff like that. So yeah, that's beautiful. I, d- I never really connected those dots with um with you know the washing uh, before the the priestly ordination, almost. That's beautiful.
1: Yeah, and so what's cool about that is that you know, if if you talk to Protestants and you do any apologetics with Protestants, people often get this question from Protestants, where is that in the Bible? Mm. And I think one of the biggest ones is where do you find like guys dressed in black, wearing a white collar and, you know, presiding at the worship, where do you find that in the Bible? And I think it's in the Last Supper in John. This is where Jesus ordains his apostles for ministry. And, you know, it's not just, It's not just any ministry, but it's specifically doing the Eucharistic liturgy. Because in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus offers his body and his blood at the Last Supper when he holds up the bread and the wine, and he tells the apostles, now you guys do this. He tells them to do it. Right. Uh, He tells them to offer sacrifice. And who can offer sacrifice but a priest? And who can give the laity, who can give the people divine things but... A priest. So when John closes his Last Supper account, he has this really long prayer, which Jesus says. And so Jesus starts off the prayer. He asks God the Father to glorify him. He says, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory which I had with you before the world was made. And then, so after he prays for himself, then he prays for his apostles. He says, They are in the world, and I'm coming to you. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. So he prays for himself, and then he prays for the apostles. Uh, And in his prayer to the apostles, he says, sanctify them in the truth. Hagiazo, that's that Greek word from the beginning of the episode. Sanctify them in the truth. And in verse 19, he says, and for their sake I consecrate myself, that they may also be consecrated in truth. So Jesus Consecrates or sanctify or hagiato himself so that the apostles can be consecrated and sanctified and pagiatso'd. Um I'm not using the proper Greek grammar there, but sure, it's the yeah. right word. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I get you. <laughs> so, um, so the, so that, that word, so sanctify and consecrate it's actually the same in Greek. Yeah,
1: exactly. And so
0: basically what I think is he's consecrating them as priests,
1: he's ordaining them. And so, even today, when we um, when we or, when a bishop ordains a priest, he anoints the guy's hands, he consecrates him, he sets him apart for a very specific purpose
0: for worship. Yeah, and it, it almost it makes me think about too how in the Old Testament, uh, like obviously uh, the the Levites were were the priests you know, after after Mount Sinai and all that stuff, uh, but it, the the high priest was the one like you if the high priest like if you weren't cool with the high priest you weren't doing anything in the temple right like the high priest was the one he was the only one that would go into the holy of holies right that one time a year and and if if you were if you were to serve in the temple the high priest had the authority, you you were you were under his authority on what you could and couldn't do. So in the same way, Jesus, being our ultimate high priest, he had to give the authority to his apostles, and and then now we live that out through our our bishops, archbishops, and cardinals, and, and all that good stuff. So I guess uh, playing double advocate a little bit here, just because I can, and why not? Uh, so when uh, elsewhere in the New Testament, when uh, it starts talking about how when we're baptized, uh, everyone's made priest, prophet, and king. What would then be the difference between our priesthood as, let's say, married lay men and the the, uh, actual Catholic priest? What's that difference there? And so why wouldn't I be able to consecrate the Eucharist when a priest could? Or why why shouldn't I give a homily even though the priests do?
1: Yeah, so I think there's a couple important points with that. First is in the epistle to the Romans, I think, St. Paul says to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice to God. And so it's true that we all as Christians participate in the priesthood of Christ, but Christ also sends out his apostles as different, uh, in a different way than he sends the rest of us. So for example, uh, if I go back to John 17, he says, let's see, I have manifested your name to the men whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. This is verse 6 and, uh, and following. So in John chapter 17, verse 9, Jesus says, I'm praying for them, I'm not praying for the, for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours, all mine are yours. And then later he says in verse 20, I do not pray for these only, the apostles, mm-hmm. but also for those who believe in me through their mm-hmm. word. So Jesus is setting up
0: categories here. Yeah, there's a clear He's setting distinction. setting up a category. Yeah.
1: yeah. So there's the ones that the Father gave him, and then there's the ones who believe through the word of those who the Father gave him. And so there's, there's distinction. There's the believers, and then there's those who, uh, who are preaching and who are uh, causing others to believe. And so I think that's where you get this distinction. And so the believers are also priests because we are supposed to offer our own bodies as living sacrifices. And the priests are supposed to give us, they're supposed to dispense to us the graces which Christ purchased on the cross. And that happens especially through the sacraments.
0: Yeah, um, and that, and that kind of leads, you know, ultimately to... Jesus being the ultimate high priest and you know, I've in the letter, to the Hebrews talks about this a lot. And so namely that, you know, Jesus being the high priest, like the epitome, the ultimate, the last high priest, um, but at the same time being King and, you know, priest, prophet and King. And so, you know, especially on the cross, I mean, that's the, the cross and the last supper. I mean, they're obviously it's, it's one big event. Like we Scott Hahn, you know, he talks about this all the time. So, the High Priesthood of Christ really comes to fruition and starts at the Last Supper, but then uh, you know, the high point, the climax would be the cross, right? Well,
1: I'm not sure. So certainly the cross is that that almost singular moment where he purchased for us the rewards of eternal life. But in the Epistle to the Hebrews, there's this focus not just on the cross, but actually on his ascension, because Jesus mm. goes into heaven. He enters into the temple that was not made with hands in Hebrews nine twenty four. I think it is. Oh, yeah. That's and
0: beautiful.
1: that's where he's perpetually offering himself to the Father on our behalf.
0: So that's when he goes and into so the Holy of Holies, the true Holy of Holies. That's
1: exactly it. And so you talked a little bit ago about Yom Kippur, when the high priest goes into the Holy of Holies. That's Jesus being the high priest going into the Holy of Holies, not made with hands, mm. the one that's in heaven and where he is offering his own blood, and not the blood of goats, because that's not worth anything, but he's offering his own blood of infinite worth for our sins. And so so when we go to Mass, we get to actually enter into that heavenly liturgy, and we get to partake in uh, the same liturgy which Jesus is perpetually offering to God. mm. Um, And so since we're on the Day of Atonement, that that uh, sacrifice in the Old Testament, I want to talk really, really briefly about John 17 again. Sure. So in John 17, I started mentioning that Jesus talks about, he prays for himself, his own glorification. He prays for his apostles. And then in verse 20, he prays for the church. He prays for those who believe through the word of the apostles. In Yom Kippur, that Old Testament sacrifice of the day of atonement, where the high priest goes into the Holy of Holies, when he goes into the Holy of Holies, he prays three prayers. In the Old Testament, he prays for the himself and his own sins. He prays for his fellow priests. And then he prays for the whole nation of Israel, God's covenant people in the Old Testament. And so there's this three-fold division of high priest, the Levite, and the church, or the, the Israelites. Sorry, I'm tipping my hand there. <laughs> and then in the New Testament, in John 17, Jesus says that prayer. But he says it for himself, himself as the high priest, for his apostles, the new priests, and then for the whole church, the new Israel. So I think this is a really beautiful image of how Christ is consecrating the apostles to be basically like the new Levites to participate in his high
0: priesthood. And and he really does that because he's the Christ. When you you look at David, you know, David... Uh, Wore the ephod, right? When he danced before the Ark of the Covenant, which ephods only, like priests, only wore those, right? It's a priestly garment, and and Jesus also wore, you know, a a single garment um, that they didn't want to rip on the cross, or the soldiers gambled over, or whatever. And so, as the Christ, as the this uh, descendant of David, as a as a Davidite, he is truly the King, and as such, he's also the priest and the highest of priests, and namely, and also a prophet, right? So it's really in his identity as the the Christ who was to come, that he can claim this priestly role, right?
1: I think that's exactly it. And it's really because of the incarnation. It's in Jesus's very identity as both God and man that he can be the perfect intermediary between God and man.
0: Wow. Yeah, that's beautiful. Oh man, Luke, I'm not going to lie. I could talk about this all flipping day um, <laughs> but uh, yeah I know <laughs> yeah this is great so Luke uh, is there any uh, good books or anything that you might recommend for our, our listeners who maybe want to study a bit more uh, over uh, the priesthood of Christ um, or priesthood in general or anything that you know helped you along your journey I can throw them in the show notes after this uh, so people if they want to continue their education any any good books or materials um, or videos or whatever anything you can recommend uh, for our listeners?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I've got two recommendations. First, so we talked about Dr. Barber earlier, just when we were talking about our education, everyone has access to him and he is writing and he's creating things for the Augustine Institute and he's doing an amazing job over there. And so he just came out with a book called Salvation, What Every Catholic Should Know. Yeah. And I read that and I was just blown away. It's It's an amazingly... Brief and easy to read and engaging read. And it, I really think every Catholic should read it. It's, it's so important. And he talks about exactly how we get to heaven and even like why. Mm. You know, so, some people get stuck in their sin and they think, well, if this is what brings you to hell, then I don't want to go to heaven. Right, right. But he, he has a really thorough and convincing, and, you know, it's kind of like a spiritual exercise to read his book on salvation. It's, it's just so beautiful. And um, so, I'd highly recommend that "Salvation: What Every Catholic Should Know" by Michael Barber, and then also Benedict XVI and Cardinal Robert Serra just came out with a new book, "From the Depths of Our Hearts," is what it's called, and it's um, it's pretty short, but it's about priesthood and it's about celibacy too. And so, that's um, that's what I'm kind of in the middle of right now. I'm reading that. It's just it's very enjoyable, and it's from two honest pastors of the church. Mm. Um, you know, in a in a time when people don't really want to think about celibacy, there's even priests out there who want celibacy to go away, and people oh. don't see how important it is. And Benedict XVI and Cardinal Sarah make it very clear.
0: Could you imagine getting a debate with those two dudes? I would. I would just. I would quake and shiver in fear, trying to debate those two guys, like the biggest intellects of the past hundred years. Um, maybe. I, I would never want to debate them. No, it would it would go very. <laughs> but boring. I would
1: love to get spiritual direction from them. Right,
0: <laughs> <laughs> tell me what I need to do. Um, well, please. Yeah, right. All right. Well, I'm gonna throw those two those two books uh, in the show notes. I actually haven't uh read the second one, um, so I need to I need to get on that train. Um, and, uh, with all this, I can't
1: recommend it highly enough.
0: Good. Yeah. Well, I mean, with all this shelter in place stuff, um, we really have no excuse not to read at least something, uh, so we don't melt our brains with TV and Facebook and Instagram. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Uh, well, Hey Luke, thank you so much for, for being on the show, for joining us in this episode of Catholics with Bibles. Uh, It has been a pleasure, my friend.
1: Hey, thanks so much for having me i Would come on anytime.
0: Well, we hope you enjoyed this latest episode of Catholics with Bibles uh, with my good friend, Luke Hineshaw. He is the man. I'm going to make sure to put those uh, two books that he recommended on our show notes. So if you guys want to order them from Amazon or what have you, you can do that. And so we hope you enjoyed this episode of Catholics with Bibles and we'll see you next time. God bless.